Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all today? Good. Oh, look at It's always more responsive at 1030. <laughs> it's good to have you all here. It's good to be here today. My name is Jared Perry. I am the uh, church planning resident here at White Rock Fellowship and the pastor at Eastlake Fellowship, which is the church that we're hoping to plant this fall. Uh, and we're really excited about that. If it's okay, we have a few updates that are pretty exciting that I'd love to begin with this morning. I say it's okay. You don't really have a choice. Um, so uh, we are going to start with, um, we are in the contract phase with a potential location uh, for Eastlake. So we're going to throw this up on the screen. Um, <clears throat> I've been to that Schlotzky's one time. I promise. I don't know why it's up there, but it's up there. Um, Central Lutheran Church uh, is there on Easton, uh, and we have been having a discussion with them about potentially using their location for our meetings when we begin this fall. Uh, they've been really lovely to work with. Their leadership team met last Sunday night and officially approved us uh, as candidates for uh, a contract with them. So we're working through the contract language, trying to get all those details worked out, but it's obviously really exciting. I found I couldn't stop smiling as I was talking about it in the first service. I felt really dumb and dorky, but that's fine. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're, we're very, very thrilled. Um, it's in a great location for us uh, in a number of ways. Um, but you guys here have been so supportive of us, I think, um, Week in, week out through this process, there's been ups and downs. There's been moments that have been stressful. There have been sleepless nights and all these things. And y'all don't always know how being here on Sunday morning, uh, the encouragement that we get, the way people ask about us, the intentionality has meant so much to us. And so we just wanted to say thank you. We're so appreciative of your support. There's a few things as we move into this next phase that you could do to kind of help us in this process. So number one, we would love your continued prayers um, for everything from this contract details that everything would get lined up and worked out to, um, to our team as we're starting to meet once a week uh, and we're moving from every other week to once a week. We're trying to build those relationships. We'd love your prayers for unity. Uh, we would also love your prayers uh, or we'd also love you to participate with us uh, by inviting people. Now that we know the location, it's not just somewhere east of White Rock Lake because that's a super small like location, right? We have a little bit more of an identity, a little bit more of a place. We'd love for you to consider maybe inviting someone you know who lives in that area, or maybe if you live in that area, maybe now would be a time for you to consider thinking about what it would look like for you to partner with us and help us as we're contributing to the needs of that neighborhood. But finally, uh, us moving to Central Lutheran creates an exciting opportunity for us, uh, and I do genuinely mean that, um, to shift from Sunday morning services to Sunday evening services. Um, we have talked about that as a team. Our core team is actually uh, has a preference for that, and so we were really thrilled with that opportunity. Um, but it does create an opportunity for you to help us out. Uh, last time I came with something, people were just giving me cash in the aisle, so... Um, that would be phenomenal again, but that's not necessarily what we're looking for. Um, what we need right now is help with our kids. Um, we have a, a few kids that are part of Eastlake Fellowship right now. And uh, currently, when we meet on Sunday nights, 
One of our core team members is having to step out of the room to go help with our kids in that time period. They're happy to do that. They love doing that. But because we're meeting Sunday evenings and White Rock doesn't have services or activities on Sunday meetings, it creates a great opportunity for you to say, hey, I can give one or two Sundays in a year and come up and hang out with these kids for an hour. Uh, an hour and a half, spend some time with them and let this core team continue to grow together and be united. And it, it may seem like a small thing, but it really can make a huge difference in the unity and connectedness of our community. So if you're willing and interested, we'd love to chat with you about what that would look like. We're meeting at 5 p.m. on Sunday nights. We meet tonight. Um, I'm not asking anybody to show up this evening. But uh, if 5 p.m. on Sundays, I know you're getting ready to start your week, but if maybe once or twice you'd be willing to say, hey, I can come hang out, uh, we would love to chat with you. So come find me after the service. You can email me. Uh, our email is all, my email is all over our website, just eastlakefellowship.org. We'd love to chat with you about those opportunities. So that's how you could serve us moving forward. But in the meantime, we just really want to thank you for all that you've done to support uh, and be on our side through this process so far. Okay. I've been talking a lot. Let's pray and get back into Romans. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this new season, for the season of summer, for the season that has passed. Uh, we thank you on this day, the day that we celebrate Pentecost, for the work of your spirit, that you and your grace have sent your spirit to us to give us power, to strengthen us, Lord, but also just to be with us in the midst of the back and forth of life. <laughs> Father, I ask and pray that this morning for me and for those here, uh, that this would be a time, a service where you are solidifying the things you've been teaching us throughout this book and the study of this letter. That this wouldn't be, a, uh, maybe you have something new for us, that's great, but, but Lord, more than anything, I hope that our hearts and our minds are transformed by the truths that we've been hearing and by the reminders that we've had through Paul of the goodness of Jesus and your rightness and greatness. So if you would take a second and pray for yourself. Pray and ask that, yeah, pray and ask that God would take this day to transform your heart and mind through the truths that we've been learning over the last few months. As you pray that also for those around us, those here in this room as well. Pray that no matter what's been going on in their heart and mind, that God will be able to use this moment this morning to transform their heart and mind as well. And then finally, if you would pray for me. Uh, I realize this is going to sound humorous, but I promise I mean it. Uh, pray that I would not say too much this morning. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. And we pray these things in your son's name by the power of the spirit. Amen. Nine months. 
We have been in Romans for nine months. We were joking as a staff this week about the babies that have been born during this time period, about the people who've gotten married, about the comings and goings and all the things that have happened. It's been a long time, so thank you for sticking with us, or if you jumped in with us in the middle, we're glad you stayed. Uh, but today is our last sermon in Romans. Uh, we are, have been grateful for our study in this letter and in this book. And just as a reminder to you, because you haven't heard it enough, right, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He wrote it to this group of Christians who were coming from different backgrounds. You had Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who had different ways they were practicing their faith, and they were coming together, and there was conflict in the midst of these questions about how they were to live together and live out their faith. And so Paul has taken this letter and this time to write to them, explaining for a significant portion of the, of the letter about the nature of the gospel, answering important questions about how we came to be made right with God and why we needed him to do so for us. And then he transitioned into this section of discussing what it looks like to live in light of that truth. How, does it, how do we live this transformed Christian life together in unity with one another, with those that look different than us and disagree with us on any number of ideas and topics? And then in the past, or last week, Jeff talked to us about this closing moment where Paul is recognizing the people who have been part of his ministry and the ministry of the gospel in various places. And he's gone through this list of names, which I couldn't read. So congrats to the people that did it over the last week uh, in, the, in the scripture reading section. But then we get to this section in, starting in chapter tw or verse 25 of chapter 16. Where it's almost like God is the next name in the list for Paul. So read with me where he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul has come to the end of this letter and provides for us another doxology, another moment of worship, where he says, because of him who is able to strengthen, because to the only wise God, we give glory to him. Glory is a bit of a different word, right? It's not a word that we use a lot. I don't talk about the glory of my wife or the glory of my kids, and maybe you do. I don't do that, right? A bit of a strange word for us. And so I had this whole analogy this morning, another sports analogy, I'm sorry, about Rexham and Ryan Reynolds and the number of Instagram followers he has. I promise it would have been great. Uh, and then as I was getting out of the car this morning to come in, I remembered what we're celebrating this weekend. I remembered it's Memorial Day tomorrow. It's a moment for us where we recognize, we mourn, we celebrate and honor the sacrifices of those that have given their lives in service. And I found myself thinking there's really no better way for us to conceptualize the concept of glory. Because the Hebrew word, the root of it, has to deal with the weight, 
of God. His vastness, his bigness, the fact that who he is has an importance. And so for us, as we're going to look in this section today, we're going to find that Paul seeks to glorify God, to speak of the weight of him, the greatness of him, in two specific ways. He begins here by talking about specifically glorifying God or worshiping God for how he strengthens us. Look in verse 25. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Thank you, Paul, for making my job very easy this morning, right? Very clear here. God is going to deserve glory. He's going to say later in verse 27, because he is able to strengthen us. This is an important concept, an important term. And it's especially important, I know I've said this, I think about every time I preached, because of how this letter would have been received. The Roman church would not have read this over nine months. They would not have gone over this bit by bit initially. They would have read the whole letter in its entirety in that first sitting. Which means, more mere minutes ago, they would have discussed Romans chapter 3. Where Paul states, there's no one righteous, not even one. They would have discussed our inability to obey the law. They would have discussed these concepts amongst themselves and listened to Paul explain how we are unable in our own strength to save and rescue ourselves. And then here at the end, Paul comes back with this reminder. Now, to him who is able to strengthen us. And that strengthening leads Paul and leads us to worship him. It leads us to celebrate God and his goodness. And Paul's going to talk a little bit more about this strengthening here. First off, he says, we are strengthened according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's not having a diva moment, right? He's not trying to say, look at how awesome my gospel is, Paul recognizes that there have been some questioning whether his gospel is true. And so what Paul is doing here is not saying, this is my gospel and Jesus is preaching. He's actually associating himself with the preaching of Jesus. And he's connecting his gospel and the preaching of Christ for us. And so Paul says, we are strengthened according to this gospel, according to this good news of Jesus that tells us we are not saved by our own obedience. We are not saved through our own works. We are saved by a recognition that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that that Savior was given to us out of the love and perfection of God's very Son. There's strength to be found in that. True, real strength. Not false religious strength that's based on our own ability to obey or perceive that we might rescue or be righteous in and out of ourselves. But we are strengthened by the gospel of God, which is honest about our situation, honest about our need for a savior, and honest about his provision. We're strengthened as well according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. 
Paul says here that we are strengthened not only by the gospel itself, but by the fact that the, this mystery that he's spoken about in multiple chapters has been revealed. That very revelation of what God has been doing in human history. All the times in this book where we've questioned, okay, what was happening with the Gentiles and what's happening with Israel? And well, they've been disobedient. So what, what, this is weird. I'm confused. Paul says that through Jesus, God has helped us understand this mystery. This is not national treasure. I don't need Nicolas Cage to come in and help me try and follow some clues on a dollar bill to solve and answer the questions of what has gone on in human history. Jesus Christ is that answer. He's that lens through which we can understand what God has been doing and what he's been working for. And in that revelation of Jesus, in that understanding that God has given to us through him, we can find strength, comfort when times are hard. Comfort that even when our life feels mysterious, we can believe and trust that God has a plan and has made a way. He strengthened us also according to the command of the eternal God. This is where I think Paul reminds us of God's greatness in contrast to who we are. This is a God who is eternal. He's not finite. He's not tossed and swayed by culture or by the things that are happening and the mere moments that we live in that cause us so much stress. Right? We're mortals. That's normal for us. But for him, he's eternal. He's forever. This is not a God who says, oh, I want to do this thing and then gets sidetracked by something coming up, by some text message they got or something happening with their kid or something coming on with work. This is a God who when he commands something, it is done. That's who he is. And we find strength in what he accomplishes. We find strength in the fact that he can accomplish these things because we are not resting on our own power, our own ability, but we are strengthened by God himself. And Paul makes one last note in this section that we are strengthened by God to bring about the obedience of faith. Now again for us, it's been nine months since we read chapter one. But if you'll indulge me for a second. In Romans one, Paul says this. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. From the beginning, this through line of bringing about the obedience of faith has been a key component of what Paul is hoping to do in this community, this community that's divided, this community that's separated. 
this community that's struggling and asking questions about how do they live out their Christian life, Paul is hoping that through the gospel, through Jesus, that he will allow people to see this is what it looks like to live the obedience of faith. And that God here at the end is strengthening us, not just for our own strength, not so we can show off, but in hopes that we will see how to live in obedience of faith. Now that's a big term. It's a term that I can't do justice with this morning, but thankfully we are actually going to talk about obedience of faith in the next few weeks. So we are going to turn to Hebrews and we are going to look at faith and the faith of the characters in the Old Testament and how they lived out their faith over the next few weeks. I don't know who set that up. It was probably Courtney, right? But like somebody here designed that perfectly for me. So thank you. But we are going to spend the next few weeks talking about obedience of faith and a life of faith lived. For now, what I want us to recognize is the goal of this passage. That Paul, even though he's talking about how God is strengthening and why God is strengthening, that ultimately this leads us to worship. That the way that God strengthens us, the way that he's invested in us for Paul, is what invites us to worship him. And that's pretty normal. We celebrate and worship the things that make people strong, right? I think about any time I've watched an NFL football game over the last few years with Tom Brady in it, right? All we hear about is this diet that he's been on, the TB12 diet, right? Like all this stuff that he's been doing to keep his body strong, to stay in the game. And there's good things there, but they, they want to celebrate what has made Tom Brady strong. I mean, think about all the jokes that people make about knowing someone who goes to a gym and their workout routine, right? Like talking about CrossFit or whatever it is. That's not been my experience with CrossFit people. They've all been very nice to me, right? But we have... These common jokes in our culture, because the idea is when people feel like something makes them strong, they want to celebrate it. They want to talk about it. They want to tell you about it because that strengthening is important to them. And so Paul takes this moment to tell us we find strength in God. The God of the universe has taken his time to strengthen us how great is he? How glorious is he? That he would be strong enough and care enough to invest in us that way. Not only that, but Paul also tells us that we worship him for his wisdom. Look with me in verse 27. Paul says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Again, Paul has laid it out very clearly. We've talked about God strengthening. Now we're saying God is wise. And there's this important qualifier on this term. Not only is God wise, God is the, he is the only wise God. He is the only one who has the wisdom to take the truth and knowledge that he has and apply it, apply it rightly in this world. Think of all the rhetorical questions that we've heard in this book. This specific letter of Romans. All the questions about, well, is, is God right for giving us the law because we can't obey it? And if we don't obey it, now we're guilty, but we were guilty before. Like, how is that working? Or how is God working with Israel? Like, okay, so they're his people, but he's trying to save the world, but they didn't obey. And now God is going to save Israel through the Gentiles. How, how is that supposed to work? Or like, okay, so now I'm saved, but I've 
when I sin, God is given glory, but I'm not supposed to keep sinning. Like, how does all this work? And all these rhetorical questions that have come up chapter after chapter in this book, Paul has been able to answer. Not because Paul is a brilliant philosopher, but because God himself is wise. And God has been able to see the mess of this world and navigate it so astutely that he brings his wisdom to bear for our good. So Paul in this moment invites us to worship God by actually taking a moment to step back and say, whoa, okay, that was really smart how he did that. I don't know about you, but I leave some of these sermons and I'm like, most of the time, still wrestling with a question. Most of the time, I'm still trying to figure out what do I think about what Jeff said or, or what Kyle has said or, or wrestling with some concept. And rarely do I take time to step back and go, wait, but actually, this thing's pretty, in, pretty intelligent. This works incredibly well. For God to have planned to use Israel and, and known that they were going to fail and incorporate the Gentiles and their salvation, that takes some wisdom. And so Paul points us to worship for that. He says, don't miss this moment as an opportunity for you to stand back and look at who God is and what he's done. Don't be so lost in your own questions and your own world that you miss the opportunity to worship. And and listen, I say that, I'll confess to you, I'm sitting right here, after preaching this sermon at nine o'clock, I'm sitting right there in this worship service and I'm thinking about missed emails, missed text messages, ways I want to say things differently. I'm so focused on my own self. Even though I just preached this sermon, it's so easy for us to take every opportunity to focus on any other thing Paul invites us at the end of this book to say, hey, we have read and talked about a lot. Let us take a moment and invite ourselves to worship God for who he is and what he's done. To not be distracted by the other things. To not get caught up in all the other wisdom that we perceive out there about finances or politics or TikTok or all the, whatever it might be that might draw your gaze. Paul said, let's worship his wisdom. I'd graduated from college right around the time of the 28, 2008 financial crisis. So I didn't fully appreciate how bad it was uh, at the time. But it was bad, y'all. It was not good. And I had friends who were looking for jobs that couldn't find jobs, and we had all this stuff that was going down. And it wasn't until a few years later when a movie called The Big Short came out that I really began to understand what had happened here. And The Big Short was an interesting film. Um, There's some language and stuff, so I don't know that I can recommend it, but if you're good with that, like, whatever. Um, 
that's not what this sermon's about. Um, the goal here is to point to, they told this story of the financial crisis through the lens of the people who saw it coming. They picked out a couple different investors, a couple different people in this world who were able to identify, oh, we've got some problems here. There's some major issues with what's going on in the housing market, and it's going to lead to this huge collapse. And so you kind of traced and followed these people through the process of them learning more about what was going on, figuring out what was wrong with the system and what they needed to do to take advantage of it. Now, it, it, it's a fictional story, so it presents a lot of these people in very altruistic ways, right? They're very concerned about the people who are going to suffer, and maybe those men truly were, I don't know. But I watched that film thinking, oh my gosh, look at their ability to like see and understand what was happening and be able to apply it. And you know, there's even one tagline at the end about a guy who's anticipating the next version of the housing crisis. And I was like, whoa, I gotta like, I'm on Google and looking and reeking into that because their, their ability to understand and comprehend was so striking to me. That ability to take knowledge and apply it, that wisdom stood out. And for us as well, the wisdom of God, if we let it, can stand out. We can look at what he's done throughout human history in this book specifically and recognize, oh, okay, this, this being knows what he's doing. I may not always understand it. I may not always like it, but there's more to this than I can really comprehend. And that says something about who God is. So Paul invites us to worship. And then Paul uses this little word, amen. This little word that if you've been in church or been in Christian circles, you've probably heard it. You've concluded prayers or concluded services with this word. And for us, the word amen is a word of conclusion. But the word itself means let it be, or let it be so. For Paul, this isn't a word of conclusion for this book, although it does come at the end. The real heart behind the word amen is one that invites us into submission. It invites us to say, glory be to the God who strengthens, to the God who is only wise, let it be so. Jen Wilkin puts it this way, amen means I'm in. It means that I am committed to what has just been said, that I have confessed that I want this to be true. Notice in it is our own admission that we can't make these things true. I can't force these things to happen. I can't force myself to worship the Lord and completely corral my mind all the time. But what I can say is, Lord, let this be true of me. And so Paul invites us to respond to what we've read in this book by saying, Lord, let this be so. Let me be someone who sees the way the Lord has strengthened me. It doesn't get caught up in all the mystery or all the other things going on, but is able to see how God has strengthened me and that I may celebrate and worship him for that. Let me be someone 
who can worship Lord, the Lord for his wisdom. Who's not enraptured with all the debates about the philosophies and doesn't look and say, oh, I just disagree with that or I disagree with this, but is able to stop and see God for who he is. This amen also represents a let it be so for this whole book. Maybe you're here and you're a believer. But your life has been one that has been lived on either side of the obedience of faith phrase, right? Maybe you've spent your life thinking, I'm going to focus on my obedience. Faith is there, but that tension is difficult for me. So I'm going to live here where all I do is focus in on my ability to obey what God has said. And I feel best about myself when I obey the most. And maybe this invitation to say, let it be so. That you remind yourself that you cannot be righteous in and of yourself. But that God has offered righteousness to you through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're someone who has gone to the other extreme. You've said, okay, I don't need to worry about obedience. I have faith in God. I'm secure in Christ. And so I can do whatever I want. Right? God, we disagree on this thing, and I don't really think you're right about this way to live, or this way to handle my money, or this way to handle dating, or this way to handle my kids, or whatever it might be. But I have faith, so I'm fine. And Paul says, Amen. Let it be so that you would hold to this way of life that God has promised that in his wisdom, his truths are the best way to live. And so we conclude this book of Romans with an opportunity to submit. This is an opportunity to submit yourself to the teaching that you're a sinner. That you need God and you cannot get yourself to him on your own. But that God, out of his love for you, sent Jesus to die for you. And whether you've never believed that message or you've believed it for decades, that truth is one you can submit to today you're also offered the opportunity to submit to this worship. The worship of this God who strengthens you even when his strength that he's provided doesn't feel like enough because things are hard. This God whose wisdom is the only true wisdom even when you're confused or you disagree. Our God is good. Our God is right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for the truth that you've given us, but also for how much you have sacrificed on our behalf for the way that you continue to show us love and grace. And so, Father, I pray and ask this morning that we would be transformed by your character and your goodness. That this opportunity that we have 
to worship you would be one that we would take, this opportunity that we have to submit to your teaching, to say, let it be, would be one that we would be moved by your work to do. Because you have proved yourself trustworthy over and over again. And so, Father, we ask these things in your Son's name by the power of the Spirit. Amen.